0: and welcome to A is for Agrimony. My name is Margot, And if you're listening to this on the day that it drops, then it is Friday and it is the new moon in Capricorn. It's actually a great day to start a project. Uh, it's a great day to boost a project that you've already started with some magical energy like prosperity and abundance work. And it's also a great time to shore up the foundations of your practice by going back to the basics. I love to reread some of my favorite witchy books. Or even pick up some new books that are typically considered a beginner book. Uh, just a brush up. And yes, you can learn something new from beginner books, especially with all the new, younger authors that are stepping onto the scene with their fresh ideas and perspectives. I highly recommend doing that at least once a year. And then, you know, once I am done with that, I go back to whatever I've been studying or working on at any given time. Right now, uh, I am currently obsessing over the history of witchcraft. Um, And I've been reading and comparing works of like Jeffrey B. Russell, Margot Adler, Chris Gosden, Richard Cavendish, and of course, Ronald Hutton. So it is the new moon in Capricorn. And we just had the winter solstice. I love winter solstice almost as much as I love Samhain, about as equally as I love the summer solstice. And we had a big feast at my house. All of us, meaning my husband and I, the dogs and the spirits. Everything I served up to eat and drink was also offered on my altar. Uh, And then my husband and I sat in front of the fire. We drank some wine and we watched Violent Night, (laughs) uh, which was a fun movie. If you haven't seen it um, and you like a little gruesome comedy every now and then, I recommend it. It's not for the squeamish, but it was fun. Uh, And then I got up early the next morning, which is technically this morning when I'm recording to watch the sun come up with some coffee sitting quietly Um, in the old magic of Christmas by Linda Radish. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And if not, I apologize. I read about a Swedish tradition called Lucy cats, where having survived the darkest night of the year, you get up early and celebrate with quiet contemplation, coffee and candlelight. Um, It is traditionally performed on the morning after St. Lucie's Eve, but I decided to take inspiration from it and make it into a similar tradition for the morning after the solstice. Uh, And I did that. It was nice. Uh, I didn't exactly get to see the sunrise, however, because it was very cloudy here this morning. But I did at least get to experience the darkness becoming the light of day. And that was nice. You know, you can't win them all. So kind of going back to my current history of witchcraft, Obsession. I wanted to start off by talking about an amazing documentary that I just watched on Winter Solstice. If you follow me on social, Instagram and Facebook specifically, then you saw that I posted about it on The Solstice when it became available on AMC Plus. It is called All of Them Witches. Uh, It was intended as a companion to the upcoming Mayfair Witches saga based on the book by Anne Rice. Actually, it's a trilogy. Um, but I believe this series is just going to be based on the first book, but who knows? And that will be airing in January, but this documentary is not about any work of fiction. It is about real modern witches, and it features a few prominent figures in the witchcraft community, as well as some esteemed scholars. I got to say, I absolutely loved it. If you've ever searched all over, um, TV channels and streaming apps for something educational in the subject of witchcraft or paganism, then you know it's slim pickings out there. Um, If you do stumble across something, it's typically really old and desperately in need of some fresh information. So, you know, this documentary is everything I've ever wanted in a documentary about witches. I wish it was more than an hour. It gave a concise history of witchcraft, free from tiresome hot takes, The witches that it featured gave insight into their own practices. It shed some light on how and why some traditions have been vilified and completely misunderstood by the mainstream. And it had a lot of familiar faces that I found really exciting. These are people whose books I read or who I follow on social media and look up to. They were Pam Grossman, uh, Amanda Yates Garcia, Lilith Dorsey, Bree Luna, Curly Velasquez, Karen M. Rose, Sarah Faith Diener, um, and some notable scholars included Helen A. Berger, Ph.D., and Thomas Ward, Ph.D. I highly recommend you check it out. You can stream it on AMC Plus now, or you can wait to watch it on AMC on January 2nd, preceding the premiere of The Mayfair Witches on January 8th. So one thing that really stood out to me in this documentary was one of the closing statements made by Helen A. Berger. She said, In 1986, most witches were in what we refer to as the broom closet, meaning they were living and practicing as witches in secret. But then a surge of movies about the occult and the arrival of the internet helped many of them become much more open about their spirituality. So Pam Grossman follows with a statement now the witch knows that this is her time and that she can truly help elevate humanity. Now I had already planned on making this second or first technically episode about the concept and the phrase the broom closet and discuss practicing in secret versus living your life out in the open. And when I got to the end of all of them witches, I was pretty stoked to see that I was uh, being handed a really great opening and segue moment. (laughs) Serendipity, my friends, it's what's for dinner. So let's talk about it. The term broom closet. Many witches use the term to explain the state of keeping your spiritual beliefs and your practice of witchcraft a secret from the rest of the world. I chose to use the term in the title of this episode for a lack of a better way to explain the topic that I want to address. And that's the decision for a witch to let friends, family and the public at large really see her for what she is, a spiritual being living on the fringes of what is considered societal norms. We are in fact living during a time that feels like ours. We have never been more public and the mainstream appeal of the witch aesthetic has never been more popular we love it and hate it at the same time. Because for most of us, this is not a trend. And deciding to open ourselves up to scrutiny with no real idea of who will embrace us and who will turn away from us is quite a serious matter. So I'm gonna talk about my experience and how that led to my own decision in regards to this topic. So when I was a little girl, I remember going to my grandmother's house for the first time. She and my mother had been estranged um, for my entire life up until this point, And they were just now mending their relationship. So I was essentially meeting my grandmother for the first time. And we were welcomed with a warm hug and some delicious food. And what I saw as wonders to behold in her house. She had this collection of items that I didn't quite understand but I couldn't peel my eyes away from. She had some homemade dolls on a shelf that looked like representations of people. She had a big bowl filled with rice and coins and trinkets that just seemed to be radiating this indescribable energy. And she had a massive table with statues of these beautiful scantily clad beings which actually sat alongside two other statues of Jesus Christ and Mary. And before the statues, she had candles and incense that were burning. My grandmother was a witch of some sort, and these were the coolest things I had ever seen. Sure, my mother had her own little habits at home that I was reminded of in this moment, like a lit cigar placed in the hand of a statue that stood near our front door, and another little money bowl at her desk, not quite as massive and elaborate as my grandmother's, but I remember it, but nothing so obvious and out in the open as all of this. I was fascinated and had so many questions, none of which were answered. In fact, the comments uh, made about these curious treasures by my very Catholic stepfather on the way home implied that the things that I saw were not good, not safe, and definitely not acceptable. That is one of the first experiences that got filed away in my mind. Later on, I had a friend named Sarah. She was from California. I live in New Jersey. And she came to live in my town and attend my school in the second grade. Uh, I hope you all know what love at first sight among friends is like, because that's what we experienced. We were instant besties. And we stayed that way until she eventually moved back to California after high school. We were about 13 or 14 at the time, hanging out in her bedroom, playing with our hair and her makeup and clothes. And she looked at me with a serious look on her face. And she said, let's be witches. Do you want to be witches? (laughs) And I stared at her like, "Uh, yeah, I thought someone would never ask. (laughs) And it was great. We immediately got to work collecting objects from around her house. We found candles, matches, some seashells that she had. A couple nice rocks from the backyard. I promised to procure some books from Borders. Uh, that's a bookstore that's no longer around, by the way. Um, we even snuck in to see the craft at the movie theater. I think we bought tickets for like James and the Giant Peach or something, and snuck into the showing of the R-rated Teen Witch film. It was such an exciting adventure for us. Like you know, it felt. It felt like we were embarking on this ultimate secret journey into the magical unknown. But that was just it. It was a secret. My mother's random but scarce witchy habits and my stepfather's willful ignorance of them aside, I did not feel as though I lived in a household that would take lightly to this latest development. I was also an athlete, and none of the other girls on my soccer and softball teams seemed like they would vibe with my new identity. So into that metaphorical broom closet I went. This was the point in my life, I think, looking back, that I became two different people. And I remained that way for a very long time. So several years later, many years later, actually, I should say several years ago, several years ago, my husband and I went through a period of time that is sadly marked by issues with infertility. I had also almost completely lost touch with my spirituality and my craft. I had been caught up in the whirlwind that is new love, a new relationship, a new apartment with your significant other, followed by an engagement, a house, a wedding, and wedded bliss. So needless to say, I hadn't had time for the spiritual aspect of my life and my practice for a long time. And after experiencing the losses that came with infertility, I felt completely lost and without that solid foundation of spiritual faith that I used to lean on. So I went to my husband and I explained to him, he was already pretty familiar with my less than typical ways and beliefs, but I hadn't truly opened up to him. Not at this point. So I went to him and I explained that I was missing something very important in my life, that I had lost my way. And and if I didn't return to my path, I would just continue to feel off track and frankly, deeply unhappy. And he told me to do whatever I needed to do to feel happier and stronger. And he did not look at me sideways when I set up the first altar in our house or the second. He didn't question me when I started filling the bookshelves with texts that I previously hadn't even taken out of their boxes when we first moved. And he absolutely loved it when I started cooking Sabbath feasts (laughs) So I resumed this lifelong journey that I've been on, and years later, almost a year and a half ago, in fact, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer and looking down at the long trek through chemotherapy, surgery, radiation, and more surgery, I was actually so comforted and strengthened by my craft, my practice, my spirituality. I don't know how I would have managed without it and the amazing people in my life who offered me love and support, of course. So why is it that I haven't been able to bring those two things together completely? And by those two things, I mean my being a witch and a good portion of the people that I have in my life. Because surprisingly enough, I am not out in the open. Sure, I have my coven. I love them. They clearly know. And my husband also clearly knows. And all of you listeners clearly know. But that's where it ends. And frankly, that's where I'm comfortable. I'm not sure if there are people in my life, family or friends, that would turn their backs on me if I went completely public about my beliefs and my craft. I like to think that they wouldn't, but I don't actually really know that. But that's not the reason why I'm not open with everyone in my life. The real reason is this is where I'm comfortable. I no longer consider myself to be two different people or leading a double life like I did in the past. I simply live my life in a way that makes me most comfortable, unapologetically and unashamed. To put it simply, not everyone needs to know everything about me or you. You get to decide. It doesn't make you a fake or a phony, and it's not a deception. It's your right to privacy. It's your method of self-care or self-preservation, and your decision on what or how much is sacred, and no one can dictate otherwise. So if you feel like the right thing for you is to be completely open about your practice, then that's awesome. And if you feel like you would be much more comfortable keeping some things or even most things to yourself, then that's fucking awesome too. I recently came across a book by Erin Murphy Hiscock called Out of the Broom Closet, 50 Stories of Witches Who Found and Embraced the Craft. Uh, And I'd like to just read the back cover, if that's okay, just to give you an idea of what's inside this book. How do you tell your mother you're a witch? Coming out as a witch isn't easy. You may feel misunderstood, rejected, even discriminated against by friends, family, and co-workers. If you haven't come out, you may be leery of criticism from those who don't really know what it means to be a witch. In this one-of-a-kind collection, you'll meet 50 witches, just like you, who reveal what drew them to the craft and how they dealt with coming out of the broom closet. Inside, you'll find inspiring stories like Deborah's belief in the god and goddesses is strengthened when she asks for their guidance during an energy healing to save her son from a near-fatal gunshot wound. Deb stands up against discrimination and shows her Wiccan pride during a meeting at work. Guinevere explores her faith and strength when she becomes a published Wiccan author at 16 years old. Joshua risks at losing the woman he loves when he has to convince her strict Christian family that he doesn't worship the devil. Out of the Broom Closet will give you the encouragement and inspiration you need to practice magic with pride and dignity, no matter where you are on your path. So the reason I wanted to talk about this book is because if you're someone that is struggling with the decision to stay or go, referencing the title of the episode then you probably don't have a ton of people that you can discuss your options with. So I think the stories in this book can be extremely helpful in that area. Now, another helpful source that I came across is uh, a blog post, actually, from October 2021 by Kelly Ann Maddox. She is the author of Rebel Witch, Carve the Craft That's Yours Alone. Uh, you can find this blog post on watkinspublishing.com and in it she discusses the process and the decision to be completely open about your craft and not only does she discuss you know the ins and outs but she also gives the reader a lot of helpful questions to ask and i don't know about you but i'm going to use shadow work as an example I make a lot of progress in this area when I simply ask myself a lot of questions. Question the way that I'm feeling. Question my actions. Question everything. It can be very illuminating. So she has a, a whole set of questions here that I thought were extremely helpful. And, you know, you can you find, I recommend you find the blog post and read it for yourself. But I'm going to go through the questions here. If you want to come out as a witch, you could start by speaking to one key person in your life about the ideas and practices you're exploring. See how that conversation goes and lean into what you think should happen next. You might feel like doing any of the following. Tell more people. Start expressing your witchy identity through your clothing and accessories. Have an altar space and or some witchy imagery on display in your home. Leave witchy resources on your bookshelves. Post something about the craft on social media. Join a witchy discussion group on social media and or follow witchy hashtags. Attend a relevant local event, such as a mind-body-spirit festival or witchy gathering. Or bring your spiritual beliefs slash practices up in conversation. Uh, These are actually different ways that you can begin the process of coming to a place where you're completely open about your craft and about witchcraft. Um, I left that part out right before. So later on, questions you might want to ask yourself that could help you with your decision or with the process. Who do I want to tell and why? How do I imagine slash hope that leaving the broom closet will turn out for me? What would the worst outcome be and how would I react? That's a really good one. What's the worst case scenario and how would you deal with it? What are the potential positive long-term effects of coming out as a witch? What are the potential negative long-term effects of coming out as a witch? Why is it important to recognize that I'm not obliged to leave the broom closet? And finally, how can I ensure that I still value my practice even though I don't leave? Uh, Those are some really great questions to ask yourself if you're still on the fence about your decision. And then finally, she has a journal prompt and a few exercises that I think are really helpful. The first one, write an account of your journey in and out of the broom closet so far. If you've only just started out on your path, you could write about your current intentions, musings, and worries relating to coming out as a witch. If you're a more seasoned practitioner, you could write about decisions you've made regarding openness and secrecy along the way and why you made those choices. And the next is try it. First one, research which areas of the world are unsafe for witches to go public. Learn about modern day oppression of witches and the laws surrounding witchcraft. And the second one, research other witches' accounts of their emergence from the broom closet. What can you learn from their stories? What are the differences between their stories and your own? I think those are all extremely helpful and could be really eye-opening, especially learning about how it is in fact very unsafe in many parts of the world. So I hope that I gave you a lot of food for thought as far as that topic is concerned. Uh, Unfortunately, I do not think that there is a right or wrong answer because everyone is different. Everyone's life is different and you have to make that decision for yourself. So that is everything that I have for you on the subject of should I stay or should I go? I wanna transition back into some holiday talk because we are currently surfing the Yuletide in between the winter solstice and that great big holiday called Christmas. And then, of course, is the new year. So this New Year's Eve, I'm going to be performing a spell that is all about bringing happiness, luck, and protection into the new year, especially in the area of this new venture of mine. So I decided that I am going to share that spell with you. And I know New Year's Eve is still a while off, and I'll be dropping another episode before then. But I don't know about you, but I like to prepare for spells and rituals. Prepare. Capricorn midheaven again, everybody. So I'm going to give you plenty of time to do that as well. Here is my New Year's Eve spell for happiness, luck, and protection. I actually had to print it off of my website because it's the only place where I had it in written form. <laughs> and um, speaking of my website, this will be available on the spells and rituals page of A is for agrimony.com. same day that this episode drops. So if you hear this and you like it, you can go reference it there and there will also be a new blog post also, 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 okay. A new year spell for happiness, luck and protection. Starting this new journey so close to the threshold of the new year has compelled me towards welcoming as much good fortune and protection into my life as possible. And I would be remiss if I didn't take advantage of the waxing moon entering Taurus on the 31st. Taurus is a fixed earth sign that guards what it earns and accumulates. Moreover, magic or projects under the Taurus moon tend to last the longest, increase in value, and become difficult to change. So it feels only natural that I should start off the year, as well as this new venture, with a new year's spell for happiness, luck, and protection, and share it all with you, of course. You will need a white candle, an item to carve your candle with, blessed thistle, which represents joy, luck, protection, strength, and vitality, rue, which brings the power of protection, almond oil, which brings prosperity, money, and wisdom, And an item of remembrance, such as a citrine, a venturine, or pyrite stone. All stones that represent prosperity and abundance. So, make any substitutions that you find necessary and or adjust items for your own intentions as you see fit. Begin by carving words and or symbols that represent your wishes for the new year into your candle. I will be including the symbols for Taurus, Venus, and Saturn. We know why for Taurus, but since I'll also be performing this ritual on midnight between Friday and Saturday, the 31st and 1st, I'm also balancing the energies of Venus and Saturn and asking for their assistance. Venus is all about love, which can never hurt, and Saturn rules over responsibility, hard work, determination, and again, longevity. So, And I will also be including an image of those symbols if you need a reference on the spell page. So when you finish carving your candle, anoint it with almond oil and dress it with blessed thistle and rue, stating your intention and asking for assistance from these plant spirits while you work. Place the item of remembrance next to the candle on your altar or workspace. The idea is to light the candle and perform the spell as the old year transitions into the new, but you can alternately leave your candle on your altar for that time period and light it in the new year. If you will be busy or asleep at midnight, I plan on being home so I can light my candle and let it burn while I return to the festivities. When you are ready, light your candle and make a wish for happiness, luck and protection in the coming year. And this is what I wrote. This new year's spell is mine to cast under the Taurus moon to make it last. A wish for happiness, luck and protection. I now send out, in every direction. For the coming year and my intended goal, I manifest with my heart and soul. When you finished, let the candle burn down completely or snuff it out and relight it on New Year's Day. Carry the item of remembrance with you or place it where you work as a potent representation of your goals and your magical work. And that is it. Please let me know if you end up performing this spell and all about your experience. You can let me know on social. Uh, I can be found on A is for Agrimony with underscores in between every word on Instagram. That's A underscore is underscore for underscore agrimony uh, or Facebook.com slash A is for Agrimony. Or you can email me at reachmargo at a is for agrimony.com. Um, and that is all that I have for you today. So be well and have an amazing weekend.